Hi. <laughs> I mean, good morning. I'm going to keep it professional here. No, really, good morning. It's, it is a good morning. Uh, if you don't know me, my name is Dan Abbotts. I am a member of the preaching team here. Um, I'm also a, uh, an elder here at Philida Bible. I have that uh, privilege. And um, if you're coming back this week and you're like, man, I really like that series that Scott started last week, he'll continue it next week um, uh, on truth. But uh, today I get to start, I mean, it says parables, Jesus the storyteller. That's what we're doing today. Um, before we get there, I just want to say I really do, really uh, do appreciate the responsibility that preaching is. It's not something to, to take lightly. Um, God's word is not something to take lightly. So um, we, we talked about this a little bit in our uh, last preaching meeting where th- that God would have us do this, to, to teach from his word, to hear what he has to say. Uh, we don't want to be flippant with that. Uh, I know I am uh, flippant with some things in my life, uh, but, but this I don't want to be. So um, in, in that vein, I mean, it causes me to, um, there is prep that goes behind this, right? Every week Scott prepares a sermon, or whoever is preaching prepares a sermon. There is study and things like that. Uh, and it caused me to kind of just put my mental checklist in, like, okay, let, let's do a quick evaluation, of what's going on. And so after I did that, I'm like, hey, you know what would be fun? A little self-evaluation for you guys too, uh, just to make sure that uh, um, we're, we're where our headspace needs to be, right? Or at least see how we're doing uh, in our spiritual walk. Maybe you've done something like this before. Um, think of this like the, this is not going to be that bad, but think of this like the what kind of potato chip are you quiz, you know what I'm talking about? It's that kind of thing where we're going to tally some points. So if you, if you got a piece of paper, you're going to need that. For those at home, uh, I don't know, use paper. You can use a cell phone these days. I forget about that. Um, but you can do that. So let's get started. Um, we're gonna, I'm going to say something and then give you the point value. So just kind of roll with it. Uh, if you are a part of the worship service today, the 10th of October, give yourself three points. Three points for that. Add two points if you're here in person. So for all of you guys in the room, all right, a couple extra two points. Um, for those watching live online, just three points. Uh, if, you're, if you're listening to this, if you're listening to this after the fact, like you're coming in on Monday and you're watching this, subtract one point. You only get two. But only if it's the first time that you, you're listening to it. So if you, you know, give yourself a bonus point if you watch it tomorrow. If you sang the songs... Two points. Two points. Uh, if you sang those songs while you were at home, give yourself an extra four points. Because we can't see you, so clearly your heart is in the right place. Uh, one point if you only mouth the words. Zero if you didn't sing at all. Everybody doing okay so far? Good, good. Uh, so, if you plan on staying for second hour classes, give yourself five points for that one. That's some commitment. I mean, that's another hour of your life, so five points there. If you plan, it's like maybe you're busy today, but you still want to hang out after this time 
and talk with somebody because you know relationships are important. One point. One point for that one. So, If you volunteer in some capacity here at Philida directly, Philida Bible, that's eight points. Eight points if you volunteer, right? And now, if you volunteer somewhere else, don't worry. Five points for that. We know that you see the value of that, that we're called to, to help in that way. Now, as a volunteer, if you help coordinate other volunteers, you get a bonus 10 points. It's kind of nice. Are you in leadership? Because that's 15 points. Get 15 points for that one. Are you paid leadership? Extra five. Extra five for the paid. Do you work with children directly in what you do? That's, that's 25 points. That is, it's 25 points. Right? So if, bless you. For the, and, and then there's many people that are, are working downstairs right now, so we'll give them their 25 later. But uh, <laughs> I missed that. Uh, if, you, uh, if you work with youth, you get 35 points. Youth is kind of that uh, sixth and up. Now, if it's specifically middle school that you work with, that's an extra 50. There's just, there's, man, there is. All right. Um, on, on this last one, uh, you're going to have to do some math, so I'm sorry. But uh, it's 50 points per commandment you keep. So out of a total of 500, you've got to kind of be honest with yourself on this one. So 50 points per. And, and there, there is our evaluation, kind of just that mental checklist tally your points. Don't tell anybody your points. Don't tell anybody your points. You wouldn't want them to lose out on one of those 50 for the Ten Commandments. So just kind of keep it there. Uh, and that entire, that entire thing is garbage. <laughs> this whole test is trash, and I know it. Uh, I'm doing it, though, to illustrate a point. I mean, maybe you actually started going through. I know when I started coming up with this stuff and pointing, I started writing down how many points. That was a bad idea. Um, but it's something, it's an exercise I wanted us to go through today uh, to kind of um, uh, bring up a point. And we'll get to that one later. But keep this evaluation time in your mind. Uh, as you saw on the screen, the story, uh, the parable that we're going to be moving through today is actually the generous landowner uh, or the, uh, what else? I'm just going to call it the generous landowner. And it actually comes out of uh, a story that some of you may be familiar with. Uh, uh, If I say the rich young man who came to Jesus, many of you probably have that. Oh, I know that story. Uh, I will summarize it uh, for us. Uh, We don't know at the beginning of this interaction that this man is wealthy. It just says a young man came up to Jesus and said, Hey, Jesus, what do I do to inherit eternal life? And uh, Jesus tells him that he needs to obey the commands. And this guy, being, you know, just want to make sure he's got it all in order. He says, Which ones? So Jesus lists out the uh, the biggies there. He says, uh, Don't murder people, no adultery, no stealing, no false testimony, honor your parents. And love your neighbor as yourself. This guy is feeling good. This guy is feeling good. Uh, because he says he's kept those the, his whole life, but uh, he's, Jesus, is there anything else I need to do? 
And Jesus hits this guy with, yeah, sell everything you own, give the money to the poor, and come follow me. And this makes the guy sad, and he leaves. I'm going to say that um, he didn't do that. I'm, my guess is that he didn't. Otherwise, we'd you know, be reading about Bob here, who sold all of his goods, gave it to the poor, and followed Jesus. I don't know if he did or not. We just see him. He leaves sad because he had great wealth, and he doesn't seem that he wanted to part with that. And then Jesus says that it's easier It is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. And however you want to look at this, whether it's figuratively or literally, this blows the disciples that are with Jesus. It blows their mind. Because they ask the question, well, well, wait a minute, Jesus. How can a person be saved then if the rich aren't getting into heaven? And it's a weird question if you're not understanding the context with which they're coming. As, as, uh, as good Jewish followers, they, they have a history. There's a thing that you see over and over again in the, in the Old Testament. You see oh, the, what they would know as their Bible. You see God blessing people. And if you see someone who is doing well materially in life, God is blessing them. So Jesus is, if they're, what they're seeing is like, this guy has got it made. God is very clearly blessing him. And Jesus is saying, if this guy can't get in, oh man, who's getting saved if, if, if those who are being blessed by God cannot get into heaven? Who can be saved? And, and Jesus answers them with this, uh, with this idea that um, what is impossible for man is possible possible for God. Uh, all things are possible for God. The, the Dan Abbott's paraphrase here is the just because you're wealthy doesn't necessarily mean you get into heaven. That's what Jesus is kind of saying. Just because you're rich doesn't mean you get in. But Jesus gives them this, hey, there's this little caveat. What's impossible with man is possible with God. And then one of my favorite disciples, I love this guy, Peter. Peter's awesome. Peter's great, because Peter says what I'm thinking. He just, see, like, read the Gospels. You'll see this guy, Peter. He just opens his mouth, and stuff comes out. And it's, it's something. <laughs> it's sometimes it's, it's right on. Sometimes he's so far off, but he says what's on his mind. And he picks up what Jesus is talking about here. And, and I think he, um, he asks this question more of a, oh, yeah. Jesus told that guy to sell all of his possessions, give it to the poor, and then come follow him. And he's like, hey, Jesus, I'd like to point out, we all here have done what you asked. We sold our we, we left everything, and we followed you. What do we get? What's in it for us? Jesus' answer specifically for those guys, I do encourage you to read. This is in uh, Matthew 19, near the end of the chapter. Um, I, I, I do not have time to unpack, but he says there is some amazing stuff that those 12, the, the people that Jesus specifically chose to be his disciples there, have some just awesome responsibility. And then Jesus says that whoever, you know, broader group, whoever has given up family, possession, land, houses, all of this stuff, 
and followed him will receive it back a hundredfold as well as inheriting eternal life. So that's cool. And then he lays down this phrase, the last will be first and the first will be last. And that is the context with which we then hear this parable. Uh, I wanted to start there and kind of give us that brief summary so we know if you just pick it up at chapter 20, you're like, what is this story about? The story is about what Jesus was just talking about with, uh, with who can be saved, right? So we're going to pick it up, <clears throat> excuse me, Matthew chapter 20, verses 1 through 16 is where we're going through. That's on the screen, obviously. If you want to follow along in your Bible, you can do it that way, or your phone, if you have it. I'll give you a moment to get there, and then hearing from the Word of God. Matthew 21 through 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers in his vineyard. He agreed them he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day, that's a day's wages, and sent them into his vineyard. About nine in the morning, he went out and saw others still standing there in the marketplace doing nothing. And he told them, you also go work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So those people went. He went out again at about noon and three in the afternoon and did the exact same thing. About Five in the afternoon, we got one hour of work left. About five in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day doing nothing? Because no one hired us, they answered. And he said to them, you go work in my vineyard. So when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to the foreman, hey, call all the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones that were hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came on. They've worked one hour, and they each received a denarius, full day's wage. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more. But each one of them also received a denarius. And when they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Those who were hired last worked only one hour. You've made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do with, uh, what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So, the last will be first, and the first will be last. Hmm. I love Jesus. I, I really do. But sometimes from Jesus, I just want a simple answer. <laughs> I just, I just want to ask a question and have him answer directly, right? I mean, kind of the way he did with, uh, uh, with the disciples after the rich young man leaves. They ask the straightforward question, well, who's getting saved? You know, and he gives them a straightforward answer. Some things are impossible for humans. Humans can't save themselves. We can't save ourselves. But God is able to save, uh, is able to do impossible things. But when Peter asks his question, he gets this short little answer 
and then an entire story that we're left sitting here going, uh, okay, what's going on? Why, I mean, is Jesus actually answering the question or is he going off topic? I mean, are we talking about employees versus, or employers versus employees' rights here? Are we talking about some weird kingdom of heaven thing that's just not there? Uh, in the answer, he's changing topics altogether. Well, I'm fairly certain it's not the whole workers' right thing. I don't, that's very clearly not it. So we just need to go for the obvious answer, which is Jesus is explaining to us this whole upside-down mentality that um, the disciples saw, where their mindset is saying, okay, a, a, a well-blessed person, this young man was rich, he, he's not, you know, it's harder for him to get in the kingdom, even though he's super blessed. God, I don't, I don't understand what's going on here. Can you help me? So that's what this story is about. We get to see something of God in this story. And it's a, it's a mindset change that we need to have. It's right here. So what's the difference that Jesus is showing us in how... Um, his disciples are, are viewing it first versus uh, how Jesus is saying this is, this is how it works. You see it there. Take your eyes off yourself and look at what God is doing. Extending his grace to humanity. Take your eyes off yourself and look at what God is doing. Extending his grace to humanity. So Jesus teaches us in, in these parables, right? And in parables, in word pictures. They're kind of these long storied analogies. And he's uh, showing us how God operates, how God works in people's lives and how, uh, how it's related to um, either saving people or whatever, whatever the analogy is. That's what the, the point of a parable is, to show us something in a word picture. So we just need to lay it out. All right, what do, what do the things mean? Uh, in this whole thing. First off, the landowner, pretty obvious, the landowner in this one is God. So that's who we're seeing there. The workers who he keeps going to visit in the marketplace, humanity. And the wage in this case represents the um, uh, salvation through grace. We'll see this later. But it's the salvation through grace that's being offered. And grace, uh, that really isn't a word uh, we hear too often today, unless it's someone's name or in an old movie. Um, you know, it's just not a common word that we hear. Um, if you've surf circled in churches or trafficked in uh, church ease, grace is something you're going to hear a lot of. But just in our culture at large, grace, at least I don't hear grace uh, used all that often. And, and Jesus is showing us here all about God and his grace. So what does this show us about God's grace? First, it shows us that God has grace. More than that, it shows us that God is grace. So not only does God have grace, but he is grace. Uh, think back uh, uh, to when... God was um, meeting with Moses. And Moses says, I want to see you. I want to I I be with you. Show me, show me your glory. 
And there's a scene where God then proclaims his name to Moses. And he says that his name, he is gracious and compassionate, that he is slow to anger, and that he is abounding in love and kindness. So this is something, this is, grace is something that God is, as much as he is love or anything that way. He is a God of grace. He's where it originates. And I like to think of myself as a fairly gracious guy and humble. Um, <laughs> that comes out of my mouth. I'm a fairly gracious guy. No, but honestly, if I'm sitting thinking, I'm like, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty decent in that. I mean, if I'm slighted by someone, you know, it's like, oh, man, I know they've had a hard day or I, I, know, I know their circumstance or whatever. You know, I'll give them, I'll give them a little bit. Um, so if I'm slighted, I'm not going to retaliate. I'm going to treat someone how I would want to be treated. Um, but man, I don't, maybe this is me, maybe not you, but for me, I have a line. Do you have one of those lines where, all right, if you're on this side of the line, that's fine, but if you jump over to this one, the grace is done. <laughs> like, listen, man, we've gone circles, and I, the, the grace has finished for you. I have no more grace to give you. At, at this point, you're going to get, once you're on this side of the line, you're going to get what you deserve, right? You made your bed, now sleep in it. I'm sorry life is hard. I've done all I can to help you. Just, I'm done with you. Go away. I hate that about myself. There's a whole other sermon in that one in terms of how we should act that way, right? Or with grace. But what I want to highlight here is that God is not like that. In terms of his grace and his capacity for grace. He is it. He will not run out. There will, there will be that grace that he gives to people. And I praise him that he is like that. And Now that said, I don't want anybody to get the, the wrong impression that God does not allow the consequences of our sin to hit us in this life. You touch a stove, it's going to burn you, you know, if it's on. Uh, same thing if you've burned bridges or relationships and that. You, there are consequences to that. And through God's grace, you walk through those things, but you still have to experience them. God doesn't save you from that, right? But, but what is he saving you from with his grace? Say, if you're followed Jesus, what are you being saved from? It is God's grace that saves us out of hell and into the kingdom of heaven. And there are... I don't want to say we do anything because God has done all the work, but there is that choice that we have to make. We'll talk about that one a little later. So when this life is done, do we get what we deserve if we follow Jesus? Which actually takes us to his second point, uh, my second point rather, that showcasing what God, uh, what it shows us of God's grace, and it shows us that his grace is active, and he seeks out uh, ways, I should have an S on there, ways to use it. His grace is active, and he seeks out ways to use it. In this parable, we see the landowner. This guy could have just gone one time to the marketplace, said, uh, hey, you guys, you want to work? And they're like, yeah, we want to work. All right, come on. And that could have been the end of the story. It would have been very boring. But he goes back like four times. Why are you standing here? Okay, why don't you come on? Well, you know, I'll get you, you can get in some work today. And then he goes back the last hour of the day. He's like, you guys are still here? Why? And he invites these people in. 
And later we see that he pays them a full day's wage for, I mean, the deal gets better the further end of the day you go, right? I mean, work one hour, get a full day's wage. I bet if the story stopped where he went back at like the ninth hour, he's like, hey, you guys, come work for me. And those guys got a denarius. I don't think the first guys would have been. It's like, yeah, whatever, they worked just as hard as we did. I guess it's only a couple hours. But uh, it changes because he continually goes back, and we see this with God's grace still being here, still being relevant in our world today. How is God's grace active? Kind of a couple different ways here, but there, um, just take a breath. Right now, breathe. We can do that. Did you get up today? That's, uh, that's some grace. I, I wrote the line here, are you, are you currently or have you previously been employed? But I just get to the broader idea of, do you have the ability to work? Can you move your arms and legs? Do your fingers, can you manipulate your fingers to get things done? Can you use your mind to solve problems that arise at whatever your task is you're doing? You have the ability to work. It is a God-given thing. If you're not dead yet, you're experiencing God's grace. For that matter, like I was talking about previously, if, when you do die, if you have placed that hope in Christ, you will still experience God's grace there. And related to that last aspect there, um, what does this show us about God's grace? He is gracious to whomever he chooses. He is gracious to whomever he chooses. How does that hit you? What does that you hear that. Dan, you just said God is a, a God of grace and he doesn't have this line. But that seems like a line. Does that seem biblical to you when you look at that? Is that what we see when we look through the Bible? I think it is a biblical statement. I think it's the, the principle that we see there in the parable that we see. Because we, as we look through the whole scope that we have here, we have to ask ourselves questions in like, well, why did God choose Noah? Because he wanted to. Well, why did God choose Abraham? Did Abraham do anything flashy or anything like, hey, God, I'm here, choose me? Anything like that? No, God, God wanted to. Why did God choose Samuel or David, or Isaiah, or any of the prophets, or why did God choose Jonah? Why, why, in that story of Jonah, why did God choose the Ninevites? At least that generation of them, right? Why did God, why did, why did God choose those 12 apostles? Why did God choose Paul? Why did he choose Timothy? Why did God choose countless followers through the ages of church history? 
Why did God, if you have accepted Christ, why did God choose you? Why did, why did God choose me? Because he chooses who to show grace to. And I don't, I don't think it is our place to go, oh, well, God chose that person, God chose that person. We look at the evidence of these, uh, these stories and, and people's lives and everything, and we can go, yeah, it appears that God did choose that individual. It's basically, uh, God puts that offer out there and people accept his grace. He's still choosing to go out. I mean, we see in this story that people are still hanging out in the marketplace. They had the opportunity. It's like, hey, well, you know, why are you guys still here? It's like, oh, I just want to hang out in the marketplace. I really wasn't feeling like working today. They could have said that. But they accept that offer. And, and so in this story, we see um, these aspects of God's grace that, uh, that he is grace, that he has grace. I don't want to, don't take that for granted. He has grace and he is gracious. It is active and he is gracious to whom uh, he, whoever he chooses to be. And that is how, that's how Jesus answers the disciples' question and Peter's question. It is 100% the grace of God. Who can be saved? The people God chooses to be saved. There's a whole sticky conversation that we could have on that. I don't have time for it here. But the offer is there on the table. Peter asked that question of what do we get? You know, he was talking about those disciples there. And Jesus' parable answers that kind of mindset, that kind of question too. And this is where that quiz that we went through at the beginning comes into play. Because at a certain level, when I read this parable, it feels like, it feels like the workers that got hired first got the short end of the stick. It just does. That's a very human response to have, very natural response to have. Because, hey, these guys that worked an hour, you know, less than a full day, they got a full day's wage. So clearly, the person who worked a full day should get just a little more. That'd be good. The warning we see here that Jesus is uh, calling us to come out of this attitude, the, the warning is to beware resenting God's grace. Beware resenting God's grace. The landowner can do what he chooses with his money, he says in the story. And, I mean, maybe at a certain level you side with the landowner and go, yeah, that's cool. He can do what he wants with his own money. But that applies for those guys, not for me. This is how my mind works, right? That I, I look at all the stuff. God, I've done this, this, and this for you. You know, I, I, I volunteer. I do things over children's ministry or youth. 
I obey the Ten Commandments. God, there's something else. You've got to give me more than that guy, right? I mean, we can be resentful when we look at someone who has not been on the journey as long as us and you see God's grace poured out in their lives in a way it's like, no, 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 wait, hold on a minute, man. I went through some pretty rough stuff to experience some of God's grace. And this guy just gets it dumped on him and he's only been a, you know, came into the family, what, two months ago? No, God, that's not fair. You need to give me more grace because you're giving him the same stuff that I got. How about a little more of that? And we can start resenting God's grace that he's giving to people. Sadly, that's my mindset more often than I want it to be, and I'm very thankful for brothers and sisters who very lovingly, very lovingly, take their right hand and smack me on the back of the head and say, Dan, that's not the right way of thinking. That's not the right way of thinking. We need to think of it from from God's perspective. We need to see it from his perspective. What would God give us? uh, Or rather, what do we deserve that God does not give us? We are all sinners, and we deserve punishment. The grace of God is this, that Christ died, was buried, rose three days later, ascended into heaven, and I and you, anyone who puts their trust in him, can have right relationship with God and be in the kingdom of heaven. That is some amazing grace. It's just, it's good. I mean, I, I, in my mind, it's almost as though I, I hear that and I see that and I experience that and it's as though I have made a deal. I say, God, I, I understand that Jesus died for my sins and me, but that person has to do a little extra because we had this, we had this arrangement. See, Jesus died for me. So I thought it was an exclusive deal and it's, it's not exclusive because he extends that offer to everyone, Right? And so that mindset of, well, what do I get? Do I get more? That, that first worker's mindset can seep in. And it's a, it's a big warning that we have here. And it's so very backwards from our culture. It's backwards from the culture that uh, Jesus' followers uh, were in back then. So we have to, we have to go to God and, and confess this kind of stuff. I have to go to God and confess this kind of stuff that I have this mindset. I want to. I want to be happy when people get hired, so to speak. So my final question for us to kind of think over, mill through, uh, because uh, God is a God of grace, because he offers it freely to people who then make a choice, and uh, what's my response going to be? What's my response going to be to his offer? And as I see it, uh, we kind of have three options here. Uh, the first option, we can ignore or reject it. That is an option. 
We can ignore or reject it. Uh, we hear the word of God. We interact with it. He, he knocks on the door of our lives, and uh, we go, no one's home. <laughs> it's an option. Or we just, you know, close the curtains, turn the lights off, and pray that he goes away. We can reject it. We can ignore it. Second one, uh, we can accept it and then be bitter when others accept it. Because I had, I had to go through some stuff to get my, uh, my salvation here. So, you know, I had to go through just a, a litany of stuff. And I've been a Christian for a long time. So, you know, you, you really you need to work through this. So there's this, this idea. It's that one we just talked about. That uh, because we have been in here longer, others should have to put up with some stuff before they get the full salvation. You know what I mean? Uh, great that you accepted it. Your attitude needs adjusting, or our attitude needs adjusting if that's where we choose to go. And that can be a very painful process of adjusting our attitude. <clears throat> be a very painful process. Uh, and then the third option here, uh, we can accept it, and we can be glad when others accept it too. We can be happy when others accept it. That is where I want to be, is that number three answer. Because the whole parable is about the extension of God's grace through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and how freely it is available to us if we accept that. Because that is how God chooses to extend his grace in there that for people who have been saved for a long time, they get to be with God. And people who are at the end of their lives or end of their journey, and they're like, I've been an idiot my whole life. And they throw, they throw in with Jesus and say, oh, forgive me, I've sinned. They get to be with God in heaven. That's a cool thing. Like, I want to be excited for this. And so I think, honestly, honestly, I think that when we get to heaven and we are seated around, um, Tyler, was, it was, we were talking in the preaching team about this. Uh, Tyler brought this up. I think there's going to be some people at the marriage feast of the Lamb when we get to heaven that we're like, you're here? Sweet! I thought you ditched him. You know, it's going to be that kind of thing. And that's a good thing, right? So how are you going to uh, respond to Jesus' offer, or to, to God's offer of grace through Jesus Christ? Will you ignore it? Will you accept it but be bitter because you had to work hard? Are we going to, be accept, are we going to accept it and be glad when others accept it as well? Because God still comes to the marketplace right now. He's still looking for workers. So that offer's on the table. So let's respond to that. Uh, let's pray. Father God, I, I thank you for who you are. That you are a, um, that you are a God of grace and love, and mercy, that you have uh, made it possible for us to be right with you through Jesus Christ.
Jesus, I thank you uh, for being willing to do that for us. I pray that uh, uh, we would examine ourselves, not in that checklist kind of way, but that we would desire, that we would want to be with you. That we wouldn't see anything as a sacrifice that we left something. That we wouldn't have Peter's mindset of, God, we left everything. What do we get now? But that we would see that it is your grace, that it is your love that has drawn us in, and that you are what we are desiring after. Father, I pray that you would, or rather Spirit, I pray that you would move hearts in this room and that conversations that need to happen uh, would happen so that those who are questioning would be brought to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.